Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello, and welcome to the Movie Trap. My name is Russell Carlson, and don't call me Francis, because I am joined with my partner, Chris Boroff. Hello, don't move, don't blink, don't even breathe. It's from the poster. <laughs> and That's I all am I got. also jo- Yeah, yeah, right, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> and now I am also joined with my other partner and co-host, Zach Powers. Yeah, I forgot we were supposed to do a quote, so I'm just going to be like the Dennis Leary, I'm an asshole song. So, there you go. Uh, I know every word of that song, by the way. Um, Okay, on the movie trap, each of the hosts, one of the hosts that you just met picks a theme, and then each of the hosts picks a movie based on that theme. After we've watched all three movies, we then vote with an allocated amount of points. We get 10 points each, plus three bonus points that we can give around to each other at, for whatever reason we see fit. Once we've watched all three, we then vote using the allocated amount of points that we have earned, and whoever's host movie wins, that host gets to pick the next theme. And you are unfortunately having to deal with back-to-back Russell themes. Um, because I'm not gonna lie, I don't love this theme all that much. It was sort of a back pocket, sort of a 3 a.m. thought process. I honestly didn't think I was gonna win the last theme, uh, so I didn't come fully prepared, but I always kind of had this one in my back pocket. Um, yeah, you only presented Fargo, which, you know, is a shit movie well, I that thought, would never win. I, 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 well, I mean, I, I, I thought There Will Be Blood would really push it over, but I, 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 I underestimated how much we all love fucking Fargo. Anyway, what is the past is the past because now we are dealing with a brand new theme because, as I said uh, in last episode, that I feel like we've been dealing with much too high a quality of movies now. So <laughs> I thought we should uh, roll up our sleeves and get into the dregs. Uh, boy, with this one, did I deliver. Uh, because the theme is soundtracks, movie soundtracks that are better than the actual movie it's associated with. And I chose 1993's Judgment Night. Um, we'll talk about the soundtrack later, but um, yeah, that's how we are. Uh, that's the theme we are in. Uh, so say what you will about the soundtrack. It's certainly better than the movie. Um, so with that in mind, Zach, why don't you get into your yuppie RV and take us to the dark dystopian world that is Southside Chicago. Okay. Uh, Judgment Night uh, is a film from 1993. It's an action film directed by Stephen Hopkins uh, who, I don't know what, uh, from Predator 2 and Nightmare (laughs) on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Um... Uh, it stars Emilio Estevez, Cuba Gooding Jr., Jeremy Pippen, Stephen Dorff, and Dennis Leary. Um, so essentially, this is a, a film chronicling uh, uh, a group of four um, uh, 30, 20, 30-something, 30 probably 30-something Chicagoans, uh, or Chicago suburbanites, who uh, decide one night to travel in an RV to see uh, a boxing match. Um, much to their consternation, they find the freeway is clogged. Uh, and, uh, after getting into a brief spat with another driver who will not let them merge, um, they continue forward, uh, mostly missing the match, uh, and end up cutting off through a, uh, poor sort of, uh, uh almost completely empty neighborhood, 
where they uh, accidentally accidentally bump into a guy with their RV, but they find uh, he's in far more grievous condition than they thought. He's been shot already. Uh, after taking him on board with the intent of helping him, they are T-boned by a car and forced into an alleyway where they can uh, not escape in their RV. And uh, the men who were looking for this young man uh, come along, uh, manage to uh, pull him from the RV and uh, murder him in cold blood. It turns out it's a bunch of uh, drug dealers uh, led by Dennis Leary, uh, also including uh, Peter Green, who you might know as the villain from The Mask and or Zed from Pulp Fiction. Um, and... Uh, they decide no witnesses and proceed to track down these four for much of the rest of the night. Uh, initially, they run through this weirdly empty area. They briefly stow away with a group of homeless people, um, but uh, ultimately arguing uh, alerts the criminals to their location and they shoot a couple of the fleeing homeless while the other four escape. Um, then they go to a, how, uh, a housing project where they convince a couple of young women to let them use their phone to try and connect to call the police. The police uh, do not show up uh, pol as police are wont to do uh, in real emergencies. Um, and uh, they uh, try to escape through the rooftop as the criminals come through the bottom floor. Um, on the rooftop, they find an old, like, fire escape ladder connecting two buildings where they can, you know, cross over and uh, maybe manage to escape these guys coming up from the bottom floor. Um, but Jeremy Piven, uh, who has been a greedy coward the entire movie thus far, uh, is too scared to cross the, the uh, makeshift bridge, uh, which is partially collapsing. And attempts to negotiate with the criminals. Uh, it does not go well. They throw him off the building. Um, uh, following that, they escape into a sewer grate um, where, because they're talking loudly, they are found by the criminals anyway. Um, and uh, at that point, Cuba Gooding Jr. says, we got to make a stand. They each grab blunt weapons. Um, one of the criminals manages to find them in some kind of sewage station, uh, and they, uh, disarm and kill him. Um, at this That's point, they're Peter worried Green. that that is Peter Green, yeah. uh, the second in command. Um, uh, yeah, they find that Cuba Gooding Jr. is perhaps being too aggressive in, in this situation. That's his character trait. Um, huh. and... Then uh, Dennis Leary kills one of his other two underlings in a fit of rage uh, after seeing his best friend Peter Green dead. Uh, he drowns him in sewage. Uh, uh, meanwhile, they escape up to the streets um, where they attempt to catch a bus, does not work, and continue on their merry path. Eventually, the criminals catch up to them once again at uh, some kind of multi-level like market place um, where they have their big final confrontation, uh, uh, at which point um, uh, 
Cuba Gooding Jr., who is still on the aggressive, uh, you know, still acting aggressively, trying to confront them, is shot in the stomach, but survives. Um, And uh, another one of the mooks is killed in the confrontation, leaving only Dennis Leary. Um, Stephen Dorff, who is Emilio Estevez's brother, is also injured in the leg in the confrontation. Uh, finally, uh, after uh, a bunch of bullshit, um, uh, uh, Emilio Estevez confronts Dennis Leary himself and after a struggle, throws him down a staircase, killing him. Uh, and the police finally show up at this point. And uh, it seems like Cuba and Steven Dorff are going to survive. And Emilio goes home to his friends, having killed the four uh, evil villains. <laughs> the uh, other thing we should mention real quick is that one of the evil villains is uh, Everlast. The That's rapper, right. singer, From... multi-talented right. triple or at least double threat. I don't know if he can dance. Mm. I, mm. I, I don't think I've ever asked. I don't think anybody's <laughs> ever asked him. Um, but yeah, at the time, he wasn't Everlast. He was still in House of Pain, who was featured on this movie's soundtrack. Um, uh, well, I didn't mention that because I didn't recognize him. <laughs> yep, that is him. Yes. Um, I barely recognize Stephen Dorff. I totally forgot that he was in this movie. I forgot a lot about this movie. I'm not going to lie, guys. Like, even at the beginning when they're playing the uh, De La Soul song, I was like, oh, yeah, they do. So they, I, I think when I pitched this movie last episode, that they don't really feature the soundtrack that I like so much in the movie. They actually do a lot more than I remembered. But they do it in the typical kind of way that you use these soundtracks when a pop artists make uh, songs for the movie. They're like on the radio or something or in a, uh, somebody's apartment offstage or something. You know, very rarely is it like a driving force for the movie. And usually if it is, it's at the beginning or the end. Um yeah. I'd say the so most I, most I of the music they used in episode. this. It seems like most of the music they used in this was the De La Soul song, um, just because it mm. starts off happy yeah. in the suburbs, gets I guess scary mm. as it can possibly get in the movie in the middle, and then at the end it gets happy again <laughs> and the song comes back. So even though most of the album is rap rock hybrid stuff, the thing that gets the most use out of this mm-hmm. is. Do, 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 do. I can't remember the, the song, do, but do, it's the song. Teenage yeah. Fan Club and De La Soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sampling Tom Petty. Um, yeah, no, and that's why it's, uh, you know, it, it, it. I'll get on the soundtrack later, but as far as the movie, I mean, like, it, I don't know about you guys, but, like, so I, I read on the IMDb page that this is sort of seen like a remake to Deliverance. Um, pretty dumb way to remake that movie. Um, like pretty dumb way to because re- like a bunch of yuppies getting stranded in the bad side of town uh, doesn't necessarily carry the same weight as Deliverance because the whole the whole point of Deliverance yeah. is that they're damming up this river right this is the last chance they're gonna ride that river um, and what happens I mean, to him is like om- almost like nature kind of fighting back and uh, man not being able to deal with the consequences of that. That's more, I mean, to me, what, and Deliverance is more of a horror movie. If this movie was more yeah. of a horror movie, it probably would have worked a little better. Maybe well, with I mean, different actors. I guess this is the cats. urban environment fighting back uh, yeah. as opposed to yes. nature. Yeah. I, I will say that uh, both films have just as much homophobia, though. That was one thing that popped out in both of them mm-hmm. to me. Fair enough. 
Um, so I just have a well. Question. No, no, to be fair, no one is uh, actually raped in this film. Unlike Deliverance, <laughs> true. Unlike uh, Deliverance. Uh, why did they turn off the TV in the vehicle? Like on the road, like you're, like they're driving along, and they're obviously going to be stuck in the car for hours. And Jeremy Piven's like, "Turn that TV off. We're driving there." And it's like, "You're not driving there. You're still in traffic. You could have just watched the game." <laughs> what a nitpick! Right. That is the weirdest nitpick for this movie. But uh, yeah, I guess that's <laughs> well, true. I, there, there's a lot of nitpick. Like, first of all, okay, the whole premise of Dennis Leary. Like, I Sarah was watching it, and then she like came in and caught like the end of it. And she's like, "So wait, does?" Dennis Leary and Emilio know each other? I'm like, oh, no, no, not really. He just got He finds his wallet at a certain point and learns his name and decides, like, he has a personal grudge against specifically this guy of the four guys. But there's no reason. Like, it's no, it's not like, um, so an example, and this is actually produced by the same guy who made this movie, uh, but uh, who produced this movie. But, like, in Die Hard, there is a reason that Alan Rickman hates... Bruce Willis specifically. Mm-hmm. This is the guy fucking up his plan, causing all these problems. In this one, Dennis Leary decides he hates Emilio Estevez out of these four guys for no discernible reason. It's just the guy whose name he knows. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But even the whole premise of like no witnesses, right? The fuck do you yeah. care? Just drive away. It's a stone cold who At a certain cops, point. What are they going to do? Yeah. yeah, right. Cut right. your losses. Let it go. Like, I would, I would honestly, maybe. I would honestly love like a skit that's just like what you're describing, where it's just they just have to clean up the mess and they have to kill all witnesses. So it just turns into them like just killing everyone because people just keep coming and seeing the bodies. <laughs> and, and just the yeah. cumulative witnesses do pile. Yeah. Like there's these two women who now know <laughs> that basically, like if they see these people's faces on the news, they're going to know what, like, oh yeah, I know those two yeah. or those guys. Like there's gradually a, an increasing number of people. A, yeah. a stock boy comes in at one yeah. point and is shot at. <laughs> Are they going to kill that guy later? <laughs> I don't know. That was also like, Jesus what is Christ, the that they're doing? That because he keeps, he keeps saying, he keeps saying he's a businessman and then they just chase and chase and chase. And it's like, man, when are you going to go off and just do some more business? What do these people see you do? <laughs> like you killed one guy. That's right. Like, yeah. like in the set, Right, in the summary, Zach described uh, Dennis Leary and his gang, I guess, as drug dealers, but it's never explicitly clear what the merchandise is. It just says he's a businessman and you're supposed to move merchandise and you stole it's from It's probably him, drugs, I, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, sure. I, 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 that's the logical conclusion, but they, you never deal with drugs or using drugs. Hell, the soundtrack has more to do with drugs than the fucking movie does. Um, like, it's... it. I don't know. Like, the whole... It, it kind of... It was trying to be like, you know, those bad early 90s action movies, right? Like, like I'm talking Seagal bad, you know, like where it's just like, okay, if we have an explosion in there, we could put it on the poster, put Emilio with a gun on it. It'll do just fine. Problem is, I think the reason why they kind of made the soundtrack with Universal, you know, kind of being the parent company is this is they, they, they somehow, Emilio Estevez somehow convinced them to pay him like $4 million for this movie, um, which at that year was like the highest paid actor. Uh, so I figured they're like, well, look, we're, we 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 got to recoup expenses because this movie's not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna make the, our money back. Uh, so why well, don't we just get all these pop artists that we've already got on 
on contract and just throw them on a contract and make them do a soundtrack. Do they need to see the movie? Well, Not really. It doesn't really matter. We should note. We got uh, a couple. Like, there were some people who were, like, big names that, that had fingers on this project, like, touched it briefly, like uh, a baton being passed around. Um, like, the script which was written by some guy, some guy named Kevin Jar, Jare, something like that. He wrote Rambo vs. Blood Part 2. Um, but there was like there was like draft revisions that went through John Carpenter, Christopher Crowe, uh, William yeah. Wisher, who wrote, yeah, who this... worked with James Cameron on Terminator and Terminator 2. And in terms of actors, like the original choices for the leads were uh, let's see. Uh, John Travolta for the Emilio Estevez role and Kevin Spacey for the villain. And it also says here, Ray Liotta, Tom Cruise, Samuel L. Jackson, and Christian Slater were, quote, either offered or had turned down roles in the film, which I really like that phrasing because I like the idea that they weren't offered, but they still turned them down preemptively. <laughs> 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 just reflexively said, uh, no thanks, mm -hmm. I'll pass. Yeah, if they call me up about Judgment Night, just tell them I'm dead. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even even the fucking title, Judgment Night, right? All it does is just, like, invoke, like, this some sort of, like, oh, my God, Judgment Night, Emilio Estevez. Which is especially night, you know? funny when one of the people who, like, touched up the script was William Wisher, who wrote Terminator 2 Judgment Day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe they just um, like saw the name and they're like, ah, he maybe it's a judgment thing. We give it to him. You know, see what he does. The word judgment has a J and a U. I think that looks good on a poster. You know, like <laughs> it's anyway. That's it's. I mean, it's. it's I, it, it's so nineties. This movie. This movie's weird because it's like the tamest action film I've seen. Like. It uses so much, like, 90s shorthand in it that I'm never really afraid or surprised when anything happens. Like, I'm not surprised when Jeremy Piven gets pushed off the roof. I'm not surprised yeah, when they get into pretty trouble with the drug happen. dealers. Uh, like, they build up, mm -hmm. like, these confrontations. I'm not surprised that they kill a lot of the bad guys. Um, the only thing that really surprised me is <laughs> that a couple of the guys that got shot were like, oh, no, he's going to be fine, because I was like... I could see them yeah. killing the friend. I thought Cuba Gooding Jr. would die cuz yeah. like Cuba Gooding Jr. for the whole for like half the movie they're like you're too aggressive, you're too obsessed with like getting even and we should be more interested in being safe. Like yeah. I thought he was going to die for for that perceived sin. Yeah. Or the um, little, or the little brother. But, like, I figured well, the little that's... brothers had like so I thought little exactly. like, characterization that they were like just having him there as a body to get shot and feel bad about. But no, he just got gets through the movie and you're like, "All right, I guess white people just wander through this neighborhood and no one actually dies. It's weird." Yeah. It's it's, it's it, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I, I saw I, I, uh, oh, one more tidbit. Adam Carolla was a stand-in for one of the villains in one scene. Um, but otherwise, uh, uh, this is the movie, this is the kind of movie where, like, if I were visiting home, right, and hanging out with my dad, and we were like, oh, let's put on a movie. Like, this would be a movie that I don't remember, but is unobjectionable to watch with my dad. <laughs> like, that is this kind of movie. Sure. 
it's and it's you know for what it's worth it's competently made you know like, yeah it's, it's not it's nothing's not in it. terrible terrible right yeah I it's mean, not they like worked, yeah true they worked really hard on it but it's like you can tell that whoever shot it really was awake and aware and doing their best like they have bunches and bunches of really beautiful split yeah. diopter shots that are sure. moody and cinematic and it all happens at night and it looks beautiful and it i felt bad for the crew because you could tell that some real talent went into making some real crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, this movie is ultimately like almost worse than bad. It it's fine. Like if you watch it on a Saturday, a Sunday afternoon with a hangover, you're like, all right, well that, that was, was something. Thing. Yeah, yeah. That was, that, 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 that that was a way to spend two hours of getting over last night. I mean, there's just not enough substance to the movie, you know? There's just nothing... Yeah. There's not a lot of there there, you know? It's pretty yeah. much... As soon as they meet Dennis Leary, it's just chase, 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 chase. Like, there's... Two, you, it, it's, yeah. and, and if we're going to do that, you should have had it a lot earlier in the movie. I mean, because you don't really get any personal stakes with Amelia. I mean, that's why I agree with Borif. Like, if they had killed the little brother, it would have been like, you know, it would have been your classic 90s cliffhanger thing of like, this is for you, yeah. you know, like this for you john boy you know like yeah. i there was no that moment you know he all he did is like you mentioned my wife and don't call me francis and shit like that and like mm -hmm. i yeah, which, i tried to tally in, how, which, which i tried to tally how many times like a, i rolled my eyes well like comparing that with like character justifications the idea that emilio estevez would say like cold-hearted shit to people as he's shooting them like we've seen nothing to suggest that he's a cold-hearted killer like, I would have accepted it way more There's... if he got there and he was just terrified and confused about what had happened or if this was violence beyond what he was There's used to. Very vague indications that, like, he had a rough and tumble pat. Like, there's early in the movie, his wife's there and, I don't know, she seems mildly disapproving of him going out with his old gang, like, all the old boys. And it's like, maybe he used to have, like, a rough side. And then later on, Cuba Gooding Jr. is often like, Oh, you're not the John. I don't know what the character's name is that I used to know. Like <laughs> the you not know. Francis. Don't call him that. Oh, it was Francis. That's right, Frank. Yeah, yeah. they call uh, him Frank. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like he's like that's not the Frank I used to know who would like go in for whatever. Blah blah blah. Yeah. I don't know. Everybody has one character trait, right? Jeremy Piven is concerned about his money, and he's a coward, so he has two. Um. Mm. He's very unsympathetic and fucking awful, and you don't like mm. him at all. Uh, so he's Jeremy Piven, and yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, and then he found his type early in career. <laughs> the right. little brother is like a little bit cowardly, like he's a little bit shy, like he can't step up quite enough, and he kind of does it to save Cuba Gooding Jr. at the end, and Cuba Gooding Jr. is not growing up and too aggressive. Like they're supposed to be like, Oh, we're in the next phase of our life. We're supposed to be suburban fucking beer dads now. And, uh, some of them are accepting it better than others. I guess it's the moral of the story. Yeah. That kind of felt yeah, like what they were trying and it, to do. It, 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 it seemed weird though, because of the age of the actual actors, because they all seemed a lot more yeah. put together mm -hmm. and adult than I think would be believable if you were still being a hooligan at like your mid thirties, you know? Everybody looked too clean yeah. and clear right. and like not particularly grizzled or weird or extreme. 
Right. I mean, we're talking about a bunch of yuppies, right? So, like, they, what's what's the worst violence they've ever gotten into? Like a bar brawl or, like, something that a fucking, you know, like, that's... that. And, and I realize that's sort it would, of the it point. We do but, with some more backstory. Yeah, with, like, yeah, an incident. Well, uh, either that or don't have any backstory. I think this movie would have been a lot better served had there been about 80% less dialogue. Um, yeah. You know, like, I, I if it would just use the atmosphere and, like, the kind of the scraping of the knife against the boxcars, I thought that was, you know, like, you could really... There was there was moments in there where, like, oh, I, I can kind of see where you wanted to go, but then the studio's like, boy, you saw those, uh, those uh, you know, saw those action movie numbers, right? You, you, we better action it up a bit you know so like that's yeah. kind of where they lean towards it felt like they're trying to do like a modern night of the hunter and it's just they couldn't make anybody seem that scary and they definitely couldn't make anything have that sort of fear in the sequence because they have a lot of good setups they have like creative yeah. interesting setups that don't have really good payoffs like we joked about the stock boy who is pushing his little stock cart as they're shooting <laughs> Funniest guns. Funniest part of the movie. And the whole thing is, is that the bullets aren't hitting him. They're going through like many cans of Mountain Dew or whatever was on that thing and stopping before they get to him. And he's got his headphones in, so he can't hear that he's being shot at. So it's just this fun action sequence. Like Dennis Leary keeps shooting and he's like, why does it keep coming? And it's got this comical <laughs> moment. And it's just this one little moment of like, the filmmakers coming alive in an otherwise completely dead experience. <laughs> It's weird. Yeah, it's, it, there's uh, like moment. Yeah, yeah. There's like yeah. the the crossing of the buildings on the makeshift bridge is like a decent idea for an action movie sequence. Like, yeah. it's not like next level, but it's fine. It's like a good moment of suspense. You know, it's a it's a classic narrow bridge, high high ledge, and then but there's also things that are like Dennis Leary as this big bad villain uh, and we could talk about his performance but his death was like I thought he might have survived that fall and I think even the movie plays with that idea when the cops show up but like it seems like a very anticlimactic death it's 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 not the kind of death you expect for like the main villain of an action movie where they get shoved through a steam pipe or, or fall off of Nakatomi Plaza or something yeah, it felt like that. It felt like Die Hard, where they set it up for the bad guy at the end, but then he just never shows up again. You're like, but you guys had a whole lingering shot, and you made us wait on it, and then nothing happens. <laughs> the funniest part is when he's, like, about to fall off the edge. He's, like, on the railing that's collapsing, and he's like, help me out, man. This guy who's been nothing but a sociopath the entire time. And Emilio Estes is like, okay. I'll help you out. It's like, why? <laughs> this man has clearly wanted to kill you from moment one. I mean, it's it's totally a melodrama. That's like a perfect example. It's like something where the character, no writer or no reasonable character would ever do that, but the movie makes it happen because you have to have something where the villain falls. You can't have the cold moment where the main hero is like, you know what? Maybe it's okay to kill evil people. You just can't. Don't have call that. me Francis. Oh, not even God. kill them. Not endanger yourself to try and save yeah. this guy who, if he gets a gun, is going to shoot you in the head in a second, or just try to strangle you if he gets back on solid land. What, what was well, the timeline? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I, that's why I, I I didn't see a lot of logic in Cuba Gooding Jr.'s argument of being like, nope, we're going to make our stand here, you know, because this is the edge of civilization and we'll never get back. They're in the middle you know, of like fucking Chicago. That, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't, you can't find a fucking bodega, homie. Come on, let's go. 
This is they, and also they, this is okay. This is some. This happens in 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 movies occasionally, uh, but this is like the. This is one of the biggest cities in the United States. I just want you to be clear. Like it's it's uh, the third biggest population after New York and L.A. And in terms of population density, it's only after New York and fucking nobody's around. This is a ghost town, my friends. <laughs> That's they right. travel for I, I was... miles. Right. And there's just nobody, huh? Even the bus they try to chase down. There's nobody on the damn bus. Which that's bullshit, you know. Like even under those those L trains, those are constantly people there. Yeah. Like it's it's just it's madness I mean, to it's, me. It, yeah, it's obvious that it's just coincidental and uh, or not coincidental. It's um, uh, a nice uh, thing for the filmmakers because they can have these coincidences where just no one shows up, or uh, happy coincidences happen. Like they find them in the sewer. Um, when they've been quiet outside of that. Like, every time they hide, they get found again because of some coincidence. And, like, other things happen that are even weirder. Like, the, um, at one point, they're going door-to-door -door inside of a building asking for help, essentially just busting the doors down like cops asking to use phones, and nobody hangs out long enough to wait until the actual cops show up because I'm pretty sure, even in this weird neighborhood, if you're kicking down doors, someone's going to call the cops... That, that, they many the that, that many gunshots. That that many. I mean, they do call the cops in that in that sequence, and the and they say like, "It's been 17 minutes. Where are they?" And people are like, "Oh, people die of old age waiting for the cops to show mm -hmm. up here." Mm -hmm. I mean, because I guess I would have just expected someone else to have called the cops for them. Like, it seems right. like that would have been a more yeah. straightforward. Like, hey, can you call the cops for me? And then somebody you would else think would think all the. All the gunfire. <laughs> would, yeah, would, there's gunfire all over neighbor. the city. Right, and they go well. I want to briefly talk about the path they traverse in this in this <laughs> this night of terrors. So they start they start in suburban Chicago. Presumably, it's supposed to be Evanston. Uh, in point of fact, it's somewhere in L.A. Um, I, I, and this ties into why I think this film is set in Chicago. By the way, uh, so then they drive down the freeway. Um, uh, you would think it's a freeway here. In, in point of fact, it's a freeway in L.A. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then they travel through this rail yard in Chicago. In point of fact, it's a free, it's a rail yard in LA. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they get to the projects and that shit, that's Chicago. <laughs> that was filmed in Chicago. Uh, those, those buildings aren't there anymore. Um, well, that was supposed to be Cabrini Green or something, right? Uh, probably something like that. It wasn't the actual Cabrini Green, but it was you know, some project that used to exist and doesn't anymore. Um, and then uh, they go through the sewers and then they come out and there's a shot under the L train, uh, which is in fact in Chicago. And then they go to Fullerton Market. Now in Chicago, there is a Fulton Market uh, about 11 miles from Woodlawn where they were before. Uh, so they walked a good nine miles. There is no Fullerton Market. Uh, there is a Fullerton market in Los Angeles um, <laughs> where they filmed that scene. So they filmed exactly one sequence in Chicago. It is the sequence that takes place at the housing project. And I'm assuming like urban blight and poverty is the reason this takes place in Chicago and not L.A. Uh, because otherwise it was entirely filmed in L.A. 
I mean, the crazy I thing don't is, know. the crazy thing is, is watching it. Like, I would buy that this was supposed to be L.A. now way more than Chicago then. Like, if you were to show this to me now, I'd be like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, they got off on the wrong spot on the 101. Of course, they're gonna have trouble getting through that traffic. But for Chicago, mm-hmm. no, I don't. I don't have any memories of even traffic that extreme in Chicago. I don't think of traffic when I think of Chicago. <laughs> it happens sometimes, but like. I, I just think it's and what a the 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 structure of their journey going from suburban LA to Southside Chicago to uh, uptown LA again, and then also even if it is all Chicago and Fullerton Market is supposed to be something like Fulton Market, they walked like nine to ten miles and didn't see fucking nobody, Anybody? no cop, huh? Not a single cab, nothing. You know, like it, it, it's. It's, that's and why I, the villains I, were able to track them. Right. Yeah, right. With sound and smell only. Um, yeah. Because they're, you know, super villains I mean, or whatever. And the, it, concept, it, and up, the concept isn't that bad. It's the, the way they paid it off is bad. Yeah. Like, the idea of being chased through a city itself is fun, especially if you get off the beaten track. However, it also wouldn't work now. Like, this is a film, like, tra- trapped in the 90s because, like, anybody just jump on a cell phone now. Like, this whole thing would be done. Yeah. Well, the, a cell phone would solve the problem. That's a problem a lot of horror yeah. movies and actually all genres of movies have, yeah. like, that's a problem. For uh, sure. But, and, and even, but even, even in the, the 90s, this is, like, fucking a ghost town. Like, in the 90s, I'm sure this is not a... Like, there were people on the streets... 24 hours a day in 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 Chicago in the 90s I'm sure as there are today like it's absurd it's it, it's it's completely ridiculous because that's why even even the first crime that they witness the the catalyst it sets off the whole night of fun right it it makes no sense that oh there's these four strangers here what would what would real criminals do in that situation where they're just assassinating an underling they get back in their cars and they drive the fuck away that's that's what yeah. would happen and the the yuppies are not. Where's the he going? He's going. He's going to the hospital. Okay. Right. Well, then we'll this fucking guy shot find this him guy. in the hospital. Okay, sir. I'm officer friendly. Uh, who shot him? I have no idea. Well, another who done it in the projects. You know, like that's. Yeah. This, he this he gets sent. Criminal who really thinks forward here. These yuppies send him to the hospital, and you wait for him to get out of the hospital and and fucking finish the job. I mean, right. this had to just be how, how people uh, who were not anywhere near street-level crime thought street-level crime worked. Like Exactly. That's so silly. Get my, you're getting a point for that one, because that's my whole point about this. This is why it's kind of stupid to think of it as a remake to Deliverance, uh, because, yeah. like, the idea here is that the, the underworld of the other side of the tracks are completely alien and foreign and how will I even talk to a, a a homeless person I just I oh no I, I have no idea what I'm doing who can't, here who can't, but, the homeless person who can't even keep like knows the situation knows that there's a violent criminal and still immediately devolves into a shouting match like uh, I don't know uh, uh, and also no, I don't know I think this is an example of this thing that still happens very frequently uh, Trump was a big fan of doing this um, which mm. is like using Chicago as this poster child for like, this is a den of fucking depravity and sin. And if you live there, you will be dead in 48 fucking hours. And like, I don't know, man, I've lived here for five years and, uh, 
I ain't never been like mugged or involved in a crime or violently assaulted. It's 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 just like the same shit when when I lived in New York, you know, like it's it's ninety percent of the people who live there have no experiences with violent crime, like yeah. probably more than ninety percent. So I imagine it's the same thing in Chicago. It's and even when they do, it's nothing like this. This is yeah. this is a, a roller coaster ride. This is a, a fun house. This doesn't exist. This isn't real. You know, and it like I I, I it's almost like they saw I was mentioning this off air. It's like they saw Escape from New York and thought, you know, uh inner cities are like that today. You know, we don't even uh we don't even need to see into the future. That's that's how it's like today. It's just a dystopian hellscape where it's just every man doggy dark world out there. And I'm like that isn't accurate. That's fucking bullshit. Is there lots of crime in poor areas? Sure. Is if you going into those neighborhoods going to immediately uh, expose you to said crime? No, not at all. For the most part, most people are living fucking let live. Yeah. yeah. This is definitely uh, like a very Reaganite view of the inner city. Like you could see this a lot. Well, you mentioned earlier, like Predator 2. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard of terrifying Jamaican gangs in New York but evidently, they're all the terror in Predator 2. It's really strange. But hey, guys, uh, what is up with this soundtrack? Because we watched this terrible movie for oh, the soundtrack. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess feel like we, we should talk about For the soundtrack. <laughs> well, Cause, okay, because uh, I want yeah. to, I want to, I got to underline something here. Dep I love this soundtrack, but my musical taste, it's kind of hitting right where the sweet spot there because not just, I mean, it's easy to just to call it rock rap, but it's a little bit more than that because you're already having kind of either a established groups from disparate genres like Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill, or are you having people who have deviled in both, who have kind of delved in, in the, the, the metal phase like Ice-T and Slayer, right? Because Ice-T was his body count, they did Cop Killer and what have you. Um, so it's not like it's that big of a stretch for him to do a song with Slayer, which is basically just a bunch of exploited songs mixed in together, which rocks, mm -hmm. by the way, I love it. Um, so this is from a purely subjective point of view, where I'm coming from, I love it. But uh, objectively, I think it's safe to say that because it, this this the soundtrack in the movie was released in 1993. It's kind of right at that era where popular music was really shifting to this rock rap phase. You know, where like Lip Biscuit, Slipknot, Corn, what have you. Um, it's kind of right at that. I mean, it, rock and rap have always been kind of you know bosom buddies for a second. I mean, it dates all the way back to the 80s with Run DMC, who's also on this soundtrack. Beastie um, Boys. Beastie Boys, what have you. Um, sure. Yeah. And then, like I said, with Ice-T and Body Count in the later part of the 80s, absolutely, in the 90s, you bet. Um, I mean, hell, Public Enemy did a song with Anthrax. This is not, this is not new in these worlds. Um, but what I appreciated about it is that you're using actual popular artists that are kind of already either not quite established as you would think they were or so established that it's awesome that they're working together. Um, you know, cause like Dell, the funky homo sapien does a song with dinosaur junior of all bands. Like that's not exactly what you would call heavy metal. Um, it's, you know, a, but it's, it's an extremely strange mix. Like the, um, it definitely, I think hinted at least the, the main hook on, I shouldn't say the main hook, the main song on this album that has the hook falling um, mm -hmm. really sounds to me like a handsome boy modeling school song. Like, it sounds like Breakdown or something like that. However, most of these are covers, correct? No, not all of them. I mean, okay. like, I, uh, they, they, you know, with hip-hop, covers are kind of weird because they're more or less samples because that falling bit is, I think, a sampling of a Tom Petty song, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Um, 
But, you know, another body murder. He does have a famous song about falling. That's Uh true. And it's free. Um, So I think that, you know, like, ain't nothing like the real thing. Yeah, they're cribbing the lyric, but it ain't a cover of the Supreme song. You know, like, it's, it's, it's Cypress Hill talking about fucking somebody up with... Pearl Jam playing in the background. And that's where I think the, the soundtrack was better utilized than the movie itself um, because you're having... You, you, they pretty much, as I understand it from the from the soundtrack producers, they pretty much just let the artists do their thing. Um, and some of them worked out really well. There's there's fair to middling results. I mean, like the Sir Mix-a-Lot one's a little ridiculous, but it's fun. Um, so, but even that, it performed better in the Billboard charts than Judgment Night ever did. It, even at its peak, it was 17 for a movie soundtrack in the 90s for a piece of shit movie. That's not bad. Um, and I think there's a there's the 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 cultural artifact of this contra of this soundtrack, considering where the rest of pop culture was going as far as music is concerned, is interesting. Because 93 is again right at that right when it's about to make that shift. So the fact that this you could argue this was one of the tips of the spear to that era, uh, I think, is interesting for such a piece of shit movie. Um, so there are objective reasons that I think, okay, first of all, objectively, the soundtrack's better than the movie because it's shorter and it's at least not boring. That's the problem with this stupid movie. It would be one thing if it was, you know, illogical and, but it's boring as hell. I mean, like, it's it's just so dull. Like, there's no hook to grab you with any of the characters or any of the situations. I'm not at all afraid that Emilio Estevez is going to get got. Just not going to happen. <laughs> it's just like, I, I know that uh, this is going to go. It, well, it's also, like you say, that it's not used... It, well, I mean, it's used a bit. Like, I think they only really used two songs from the soundtrack in the movie, I feel like, when I was watching it. Hmm. But the weird I caught ones, it a little bit more these times. I mean, you probably heard the album more because I listened to the album and then I watched the movie for sure. Kind of keep an eye on it, but like they have a song on there nice. where they repeat the name Judgment Night a lot, like loudly and proudly. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of expected that yeah. to happen with the title of the movie, like that the the title would come up and it would be Judgment Night, but no. Um, and <laughs> did they no, ever have no. the uh, I'm in love with Mary Jane uh, in the movie? They did. When they're in the projects, that's the kind of, you can kind of hear it in the background oh, okay. when they're going through the housing project trying to find a phone. You can kind of hear it in the background. Because um, for me, that's like which the again, only that song is basically song like for me. It's like the only song I remember. I get it. No. Oh, it's one of the strongest songs on there. I completely agree. I mean, because I, it, it's Cypress, U, Cypress Hill and Sonic Youth in a studio together. What can we sing about? I don't know. <laughs> let's smoke a bowl. Let's let's think about that, you know. And then like, oh hey, we got it, <laughs> you know. Like, I, I and you know, I, I think that that's a remarkable uh, interaction considering that Sonic Youth is so kind of weird and out there. But they've always kind of had this umbrella of, uh, you know, major record support. Um, well, Sonic so yeah, Youth but even Della like, Funky Homo Sapien. I mean, Sonic Youth has done like rap crossover before. Like I think. For sure. uh, what was their their main song that their I think their most famous song is uh, also in a Hal Hartley movie. Uh, it's got okay. dancing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh-uh. This, this is gonna make me crazy. Hal Hartley it's, movie. Nope. That's okay. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I would not, say that yeah. probably what the, the 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 probably the most famous Sonic Youth song is probably what that that Teenage Riot song. I would argue. No, um, that's probably right. Probably, but. Um, <laughs> But I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not the biggest Sonic Youth fan. I mean, I love Sonic Youth, but I'm not I'm not well well learned on it. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, but I, I, I grew up, I kind of found this album, like, when I was in middle school, right when the big, you know, switch over to rock rap was really popular and shit, and I found this, and so I liked the soundtrack so much that I watched the movie, and I remember thinking, uh, this movie does not live up to the soundtrack. Uh, it just doesn't, you know. Um, cool thing. So, yeah, Sorry. I... Yeah. Quick note. Oh, the cool Sonic thing. Youth sure. song was sure. Cool that, Thing, and it's from 1992. Anyway. Sure. Yeah, so, like, you, but that's what I'm thinking, having these artists who are willing to experiment, because apparently, even on the soundtrack, there was a cut song uh, that, with Rage Against the Machine, like, a pretty young Rage Against the Machine, when they were still considered kind of rock rap kind of thing, and uh, Tool, um, the song was called Revolution, it was about eight minutes long, apparently, but uh, both bands weren't happy with it, it's not that they didn't like working with you, they just thought, well, this song kind of sucks, let's just not do it, and they just walked away, they didn't care. And the soundtrack was like, fine, we don't care, whatever. You know, we're we're just trying to try to trying to make back that four million dollar salary from Emilio. Am I, I right? Heard, I when I listened to the album, I actually heard that song. I think, like, I'm not sure if they really? added it to a later one. It might have been an extended. I don't know if there was a huh. different one they did that they put on the soundtrack, but I remembered it. I know that somebody strange. I know that somebody because Tool fans are you know fucking cult like that. They I think somebody found it on like SoundCloud and, and mm. able to like get it out in the ether. Because um, you also have to keep in mind, like, when I found this shit, like, this is before, kind of before Napster, you know, so, like, I, I, I only had what my area radio was playing, you know, and due to the popularity of this particular genre, it was fucking everywhere. Um, so I kind of went to my Hastings and, and found this, I saw, like, oh, Faith No More, fucking Pearl Jam, Cypress Hill, Sonic, like, let's go. Um, they, uh, and I loved it. Have they done this like successfully with a different film ever? Because I remember they did try this with Spawn. Spawn later. Spawn was rough because I remember I have that album, and it yeah. was like Orbital and Metallica. Those were the bands that right. they pushed together. That was not really right. a good mix of because styles. like techno techno music was getting really big in the later part of the nineties, yeah. right? Like house music, EDM, that kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of mixing that because they had like the sneaker pimps yeah. with like Marilyn Manson and shit, uh, yeah. you know, like, so th there, that does happen quite a bit. And even like, you know, but I mean like the history of popular artists doing soundtracks for movies is as old as movies itself, practically. I mean, like WC Handy showed up, you know, Bessie Smith, you know, a lot of it was just filming them singing. Um, but it really took off. I would argue, I would argue it really took off at the graduate in 1961. Um, that would be my argument when popular artists made it, it made it okay for popular artists to do and write songs specifically for the movie. Um, cause then, yeah, I mean, you always can use like licensed music and borrow it, but I, I kind of admire when these songs, cause even when I play, I, I, Sarah loves that Cypress Hill Sonic Youth song. And then when she found it like, wait, it was written for this movie. Yep. So they, they wrote it for, yep. That's what, that's what happened. Yep. <laughs> they wrote it for the movie. <laughs> Yeah, and then they later showed up on a Simpsons episode together, which I think is great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I. Anyway, what I'm saying is that the the cultural legacy of this album uh, is far more relevant and important than anything this movie ever did. It, the, the the everlasting effect of this soundtrack, I think, is more prominent than the actual movie itself. So therefore, I say the soundtrack is better than the movie, even if it's not to your taste, which I completely understand. You know, I get it, but. Uh, it's certainly better than the movie, and you'll, it's shorter. You'll get through it. <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, yeah. I think that sounds like uh, the start of a final final thought. Uh, unless, uh, yeah. Zach, you have something yeah. else you want to say? I got nothing. No, no, no. Uh, this is going to be a weird series for me because uh, uh, 
Um, in terms of uh, like music and music history, it's not my forte, so I'm going to be largely silent during a lot of the deep dive music shit. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Dennis Leary is a weird choice for an action movie villain. That's all I have to say. I did notice the as soundtrack the from time villain. to time. Uh, as the main villain, yeah. Uh, I did notice the soundtrack, and I like enjoyed like early like a number of songs when I noticed them. I didn't listen to it in isolation after the fact. So like the Mary Jane song, I probably missed it. Like uh, playing distantly in the background, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a song playing at the very beginning that was engaging to me that I don't know what it is, Damn but, uh, yeah, like, you know, uh, I noticed some, some good songs going on. I don't know the history of them. I don't know who wrote them. I just watched the movie <laughs> <laughs> and I've never heard the soundtrack before. So, okay. Well, I, 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 Zach, I know you being a huge Slayer fan, uh, wouldn't want to miss, <laughs> Uh, them doing a song with ice tea. Uh, yeah, I'm also you know, perhaps me being the youngest. Like some of these bands uh, uh, missed me a little more than they missed you guys. I mean, fair these, enough. These uh, these I think missed me too. I think some of these bands, some of these bands, I do a little bit. A lot of them. There we go. On past me. But, there you uh, go. I, I'm right now. Yeah. I'm the Goldilocks, right? I'm, this I'm movie right came out. I was the... like four, maybe four or five. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I dev I, that. Yeah, definitely didn't see the movie before I heard the soundtrack. That's yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, but that's but they they honestly use that soundtrack. I was reading that to market the movie, like they they marketed the hell out of that soundtrack to market the movie. It's like they knew they knew that like well we're not gonna make our money back on this movie. We could maybe make it back on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I gotta say the same thing, similar to what Zach said. Like I know a little bit about music. Um, I can tell you what I don't uh, like and what isn't quite my deal, but I'll, I'll briefly, ahead. I'll say this. Uh, there is a Wikipedia page for the film judgment night, and there is a separate Wikipedia page for judgment night music from the motion picture. So there you have it. Well, yeah. because apparently there was a whole controversy around the Alvin Silvestri score. Cause apparently he had scored something completely different, more like a horror movie and the studio scrapped and said, no, we need more action, you know, make it more action sounding. And then when you listen to the actual score, what it happens in the movie, you're like, wow, this, the movie, the, the music's doing a lot of heavy lifting for this action. You know, it's doing a lot of like, dun, 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 dun. you know, just like, what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, um, I would have been tempted to have seen the film with the original score to have compared it. So I could have been like, Oh, me too. that makes more sense. But me too. Yeah. And again, I would have cut out a lot of the Dennis Leary monologues. I mean, I get it. You hire Dennis Leary. You might as well have him rant like a fucking lunatic. Hey, I mean, you um, can't, you can't judge him too hard. It's classic Chekhov. You set up a ladder over a chasm. You introduce it as a danger. Then you get a guy about to crawl across it and he shoves it across and he lets the, <laughs> he lets the ladder fall instead of him. That's, that's the classic thing. Yeah. And especially when you make fun of bus riding, uh, at the beginning of the movie, and then you can't get on the bus. That's mm-hmm. that's dramatic irony. Yeah, that's sure. that's what it is. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, okay. Uh, we'll get to final thoughts. I don't know, uh, Chris Borff. What do you got? I think I've kind of said my final thoughts. Like the soundtrack's okay. okay that's it's fair. Got, <laughs> it's got one banger on it, and uh, every, everything else is sort of just present. I appreciate it for what it is. I think I'm only going to be listening to Cypress Hill and Sonic Youth for that one song together. And probably never gonna touch the soundtrack you, again, manager. but I might. The Della Soul nah. has a, the Della Soul has some kicks. It's fine. 
That's, I, I get it. Uh, all right, Zach, do you have any more final thoughts? Uh, if they uh, want to em- empty into yes. this movie? This is, uh, in some ways it's a difficult movie to talk about because it is not, you know, obviously like there's this idea that like the worst thing a movie can be is mediocre. And this movie is kind of that like, uh, it's not monumentally bad. None of the performances are so terrible that I'm like, Oh, this is absolute dross. It's like, it's the most bog standard action movie you can think of. Like it is a movie you watch to waste two hours and then forget about. And I don't know how to how to wrap that up. That's what it is. That's what happens. Uh, um, yeah, the soundtrack is better. I noticed it sometimes. I'm sure that I, I I I can I will agree with the supposition that the soundtrack is better than the film itself. Um, but the film is neither good nor bad. And uh, when we do like an annual like. Uh, Oh, what did we watch in the past year thing for this show? Like, this might be the movie I remember. There's a good chance it'll be the movie I remember the least. You'll probably forget that you even saw it because uh, yeah. I I only watched it this morning, and I'm telling you, it's it's like ether. It's just evaporating. Um, because it's burned it's... into my memory now. For me, I don't remember this until the day I die. I will be considering the the horrible plight of Jeremy Piven getting a a party bus that was too big in an alley that was too small. He reached too close to the sun. He's a modern Icarus. He even yeah. fell like Icarus did, right from the sky onto the hard streets of Chicago. I love that they have the satellite dish in traffic to watch <laughs> the boxing match. And then that satellite dish miraculously goes away. You know, like, and, and you saw the satellite dish in the 90s. That thing's a fucking satellite dish, right? It was big, you yeah, know, it was like big. NASA and shit. Uh, so like, they also had an it, NES in there, which was cool. Yeah, right, that was cool. Yeah. Well, I do, I do want to shout out to our corporate overlords for all the product placement in this. You gotta love it. You know, like there's a Subaru sign for no reason. Um, the the guy carrying it, which I think is the funniest part of the movie. There's like a yeah, anyway, lots lots of lots of product placement in this movie. Like I said, they had to make their money back for overpaying Emilio Estevez. Uh, yeah, I I agree with all of you. This movie sucks. I mean, it's it would be one thing. If it, I think it's, if it's just like your standard action fare, cause like, you know, you think of like, like what we watched earlier, like the mummy and stuff where it's just sort of like action by the numbers really, you know, like that's, that's kind of how I felt with this film, but like the mummy, like it bored me to tears. Like there wasn't really any moment, like, especially the, the final shootout in the shopping mall. Uh, I was just like waiting for it to end because I know where this is going. Everybody's going to get picked off. It's going to be down to Emilio and Dennis Leary and Emilio is going to save the day. What I didn't expect, because yes, I think Zach's right that this movie is is competent. You know, it's not, I didn't want to gouge my eyes out. There's no deep hurting going on, except for the dialogue. Uh, the dialogue was pretty, n- not not offensive, but just bad. Um I, I mean, like, even the, the, the whole... They were trying to set up some sort of stupid inner conflict with Emilio Estevez and his wife at the beginning of the movie that, like, barely has any payoff. All it is is that, like, you know... Well, she never returns again, boys. so... Right, yeah, other than in picture form. And then I guess a cop at the end says, you got a good-looking wife and family. I'm like, well, I guess he learned his fucking lesson. Uh, never go out ever. Um, which I think is stupid, and I think it's harmful in the overall cultural conversation dealing with crime and poverty. Um... So, yeah, this movie sucks, and I'll probably never watch it again. Um, so, other what's than next? I love the soundtrack. 
Yeah, well, let me, before we get on to what's next, let me get a rundown of the points real quick because I did give out a bonus point. So, uh, Chris Boroff, you have 11 points for final voting because I gave you a point for the cartoon worldview of crime and poverty. Uh, and then Zach and I, we have three bonus points. Uh, Zach and Chris, you have three bonus points to give out. And we and Zach have 10 points each for final voting. So, that brings us to Zach Powers' choice of movie. Yeah. What movie We're... has a soundtrack that is better than the movie? We're famously stingy with points on the first episode of a, a round. Um, but yeah, uh, so here's the thing about this choice. Uh, many years ago, um, uh, in the previous iteration of this podcast, I was visiting New York and I joined you fellas for an episode. And uh, it was uh, the first time I'd ever interacted with Chris. It was the beginning of this modern, uh, modern show. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the films we covered was a little film in that episode called Batman Forever. A oh, film no. with a famous soundtrack. Oh, no. And oh, we're going to go no. back to our roots, baby. We're going to recover oh, no. the very first movie I ever talked about with you guys. I, I we're love, talking about it once again. I love everything oh, about no. this. I love... Uh, Zach, you're my favorite person of the week. I love that you have found a way to make Carlson revisit oh his childhood trauma. Oh my god, uh, no! It's the first movie we ever talked about. We're talking about it hey, again I, over 10 years Zach, later. Zach, I can already tell you I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, that the soundtrack, whatever you think of it, is much better than that movie. Because uh, that Method Man, Red Man song about the Riddler is pretty cool. Um, there's a and, few songs on there that are pretty good. Yeah, uh, I'm actually two notwithstanding. I'm surprised because I actually don't have a good memory of that soundtrack at all. Like I remember. Well, like, there's one song that's very famous. The okay. Flaming Lips are on there. They have a pretty good song on there. That was a great oh, yeah. song. Great song on that soundtrack. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, boy. Okay. Wow. Joel Schumacher. Here we go. Um, all right. Well. Uh, well, I gotta hand it to you, Zach. You are maintaining with the theme of uh, we've been doing top shelf. Time to do the drag. Time to do the well water. Trying to do the well drinks, you know. And um, boy, you're you're delivering. So uh, I wish I could say I cannot wait to watch this too, movie. It was but... too. It was too. It was too appealing. The, the, it was. It was me. the beginning. You trapped it... me, my friend. Yeah. Movie trapped I'm, I'm me. actually excited to see if there's a 4K restoration because I bet you that this film has had a restoration since we've seen it last time. We could actually go up to a higher definition now and really see the bat nipples. We've been missing to, out all these years. And to think they didn't do that for Judgment Night. For shame. <laughs> are for the nipples shame, in this Hollywood. one? Are the, they, I thought they were all... Are they in this one and Batman and Robin? Or, They're I both. thought it was just Batman. Both. both. Okay. Nope. They're in both. As soon as Jill Schumacher came aboard. Yeehaw. Um, okay, well, this has been uh, this has been enjoyable at least to talk about these movies, and it's gonna be even more enjoyable next time. So tune in to watch Russell probably have an aneurysm uh, while watching uh, Batman Forever. Uh, so thank you all for joining us uh, and enduring these films with us. Uh, please do find us on all the places you get your podcasts on, and let us know if you if you prefer to have like YouTube videos, if you like the YouTube or if you just want the audio, go ahead and reach out to us. You know, comment on our Facebook or on our Twitter or on our YouTube page. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We like to hear feedback. Uh, otherwise, we'll just keep screaming into ether like we do. Um, so uh, mm -hmm. thanks mm -hmm. again and join us next time for Batman Forever.
My name is Russell Carlson, and I have been joined by Chris Poroff. You guys are unbelievable. I was there, and I don't even believe it. That's the line from the movie. <laughs> is it? Okay. Yeah. See, like I said, it's just evaporating. Um, uh-huh. uh, and I've also been joined by Zach Powers. Uh, this ring's worth 15K. Johnny Drama, E, Turtle, etc. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And as we always say here on the movie trap, Diane Ladd is too young to play Chevy Chase's mom. You heard it here. It's the movie trap, promise. Yeah. It is. See you later, folks. Easy, fellas. Hear me out a second. Just. Yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. 